to a brand new edition of geek to me radio today we are joined by singer songwriter producer alina smith talking about her brand new single girl that was perfect we'll also talk about her podcast she's done along with all the other things she's working on then we'll talk with lewis spawn of comic book nostalgia all about our thoughts on the dc fandom event stand by we're talking tv comics and movies and video games Star Trek from Star Wars will try to explain The Atom Doctors for Hogwarts houses on Ringworlds and Malls To be the greatest Pokemon Master You must catch them all You must catch them all Try to catch them all Gotta catch And for those of you who have found us out there in the world on the web, we appreciate your finding us there. If you're hearing this after the fact in the podcast form on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Podomatic, wherever you get your podcast from, we hope you are enjoying the show. If this is your uh, first listen to us, welcome. We're glad you found us. We have a full show this week, as we always do. So we are going to go right to our first guest. Right now, we're talking to musician, music producer, artist, podcast host, a woman of many hats, Alina Smith. How are you? I'm good. How are you, James? Doing very well. Thanks for asking. We had your partner, Ellie Moore, on last year, I feel like in the fall, maybe. So this is kind of nice that I'm getting both halves of, of your group. I think that's so fun. Yeah, I absolutely love Ellie. She's one of the like most important people in my life. So yeah, it's always like fun for us to be on these parallel journeys. And how did the two of you uh, end up meeting up? So it actually was really quite organically. Uh, we were actually roommates in Nashville. So oh, wow. um, I lived in this house that this um, a lovely older lady was renting out that she kind of just enjoyed having artists around, you know, songwriters, people like that. And uh, I was living there with a couple of other girls. And Ellie moved in when she was 16, uh, you know, and the first thought I had was like, a child is moving <laughs> to the house. This is going to be messy. She's going to take my clothes and wear them and not give them back, which actually did happen. <laughs> <laughs> but we also became the best of friends in the process. And, you know, we were friends for a couple of years before we did music together. So I think we have a really strong foundation there very cool and we should mention uh, you've got your first single coming out and i think just a little over 10 years girl that was perfect it, uh dropped on august 25th talk a little bit about uh, obviously you, you went into music and then you kind of stepped away to do the producing aspect and a lot of other different hats that there are in the music industry was it something you missed that made you decide to come back to uh, revisit this aspect of it or was it just kind of felt like the right time kind of talk a little bit about that yeah, of course. Honestly, I really didn't think I was going to come back to it. Um, you know, I had kind of like a rough go at being an artist when I was in my 20s. So I was kind of a little bit traumatized by it by, you know, many different aspects, one of which was that I got vocal nodules like five times in my 20s. Mm. So my voice was 
really, yeah, it was really raw. It was very tired. I just couldn't perform. So it just felt like a natural thing, you know, for me to move to production and writing where I could still, you know, be in music and really enjoy creating music without having to go on stage. So, um, you know, I really didn't think I was ever going to do this again, but <laughs> there was something inside of me that just was a little bit unsatisfied because, you know, I love writing and producing for other artists, but there's one thing about it. When you're really good at it, you are catering to the artists that you work with, right? Like you want it to be their story. You want them to express their truths. So ultimately you end up not expressing anything of your own musically because you're always helping other artists, which is how it should be. So, but I remember talking to my life coach and kind of mentioning this and being like, yeah, you know, it's a little tough. Like I'll have an idea, but it's so me, you know, nobody's going to record it. So I kind of just let it fall by the wayside. And she said, well, why don't you write something for yourself to sing? And I said, oh, but I'm not an artist. Like, why would I do that? <laughs> so and she said, you know, you should try this therapy. <laughs> That's how she framed it. You know, yeah. of course, when you when your therapist tells you to do something with therapy, you have to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, dutifully, I sat down the next night with a guitar and I was like, oh, okay, I'll just play around. I'll just do something, you know, appease this woman. Right. <laughs> and the second I sat down, girl that was perfect just sort of tumbled out. Mm. It was one of those songs that just kind of, you know, got pulled into my brain from the ether. <laughs> so the second it kind of fully formed, I felt like, eh, I'm going to have to put this out, even though I don't really want to. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> And it, was it probably just like a culmination of where you are in your life now? I mean, I, this this is a song that you probably couldn't have done 10 years ago, per se, but you've got all these new experiences and, and life stuff happening. So I, I guess that kind of is that why it felt kind of organic to you, you think, to have it just come out of you? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I was, the song is about bulimia. It's about, you know, struggling with like body image. And I've gone through that throughout my teens and twenties. And I actually am really healthy now. You know, I don't experience that anymore, but it was really prominent, a really dark part of my life. So I think just getting to a healthier place, um, it really helped me kind of internalize that and really, really deal with it in, in this artistic way. Because I think when I was going through it, I couldn't have written about it. Like it was too raw and too painful. And like it was happening at that time, you know, so I don't think I would have been comfortable talking about it now. You know, it just felt like since this came, like this seems like the right thing to say. And, you know, it seems like the kind of thing that people that are going through similar struggles would benefit from hearing, at least I hope. <laughs> And, you know, I, th I, I personally feel like we as a society, the royal we, we've made strides towards not putting focus on body image, especially when it comes to women. We've seen more plus size models. We've seen uh, all body types being more generally accepted, but I still feel like it's there. It's underneath. And I know as a female music producer, and I, I think there's maybe one in 47 music producers are female, having that experience wow, and seeing- crazy <laughs> i know and having everything you've got seeing uh what you've seen i assume it's still there but it's so good that you're in this position to help women who are coming into the industry with these kind of things yeah you know it's definitely i think it's one of those really insidious things that is gonna take a while to dismantle like you said there's been some really amazing forward movement with you know people that are plus size people that have disabilities kind of having a presence online showing that 
they are valid and they're beautiful people. And, you know, everybody has a place under the sun. Uh, but I do think, you know, there's still a lot of it in our subconscious, like our collective subconscious. So it is nice to bring these things to light and talk about them, you know, and especially being a female in this kind of industry too. I think there's just generally been a lot of, I mean, I think for males too, I think it's for any artist, there's a lot of emphasis on what we look like. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when I was in Nashville, when I was, you know, an artist, I was younger. Um, I had, you know, I have naturally brown hair, but I dyed it blonde uh, because somebody that I was working with literally said, oh, you got to, you know, you got to be blonde because, you know, we've done research on this in country music and country female listeners think that brunettes steal your boyfriend. They're more like. <laughs> to listen to a blonde it's just just ridiculous stuff like that you know there's it's i think people think twice about saying things like that now but no i'm 32 about to turn 33 so i was you know in it right in the midst of all that stuff in like the early 2000s and mid 2000s so you know have gone through all of it really <laughs> well happy early birthday too by the way then since it's coming up thank you thank you <laughs> and, and you moved if i'm not mistaken you moved here from russia when you were 17 was it with the dreams of breaking into the music industry was it for something completely different well, it was both. So I actually was uh, moving to be with my husband, Brad, uh, because we met like very romantically, like on his vacation to Russia, you know, and we wanted to be together and our relationship across like, I, I don't know what it is, 13,000 miles, 15,000 miles is just not really feasible. Yeah. So we're, like, we're gonna have to get married, even though I was like, so, 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 so young. And, you know, probably like would have dated for a long time, like if he had been in Russia, or I had been here. But you know, I moved because we were getting married. But he and I both like had the dream of me being in music industry. Like when we first met, I think one of the first things I told him, you know, so young, I was like, I want to be a singer. <laughs> and he's literally been there from day one. He has supported me and just, you know, believed in me when really nobody else did. Like he believed in me before there was proof that I did have something valid. So, you know, it's amazing to have that in a partner. <laughs> Absolutely. And talking about partner, you've co-written and produced uh, chart-topping songs for artists like Kenzie, Betty Who, Red Velvet, Fall Out Boy. Uh, some of these uh uh, hits that you've gone on to work with uh they've topped charts you've i think uh i'm trying to look at my show notes here uh honestly from gabby hannah topped cardi b and maroon five on uh, the chart so that's got to be a great source of pride for you that not only are you an accomplished artist singer yourself but that you're helping these new and upcoming artists uh really get to the top of their game as well you know, it is really, really fun. And I really am super, super grateful for these opportunities that I've had. Yeah, with honestly, it was just a really fun moment, you know, because Gabby is an, an artist. So to see her rise to such heights, you know, and do so well on the charts and, you know, beat out some of these major label artists, I think it just really showed to me kind of that the power of music that like anything is possible. Anybody that has something to say can't have a legitimate shot. That's the beautiful thing about uh, the space that we're in now. I think with the internet, uh, you never know like who's going to rise to the top because they just have something interesting to say. So it's exciting. <laughs> and I noticed K-pop has really uh, 
boy, just taken off. I feel like mainly in the past couple of years, my, my fingers aren't always on the direct pulse of the music industry, but I feel like I'm seeing more videos for K-pop, uh, the trajectory of the digital type stuff. To what do you attribute that? Uh, and talk a little bit about that kind of genre coming forward into the forefront, if you would. Yeah, of course. So funny thing, I absolutely love Asian pop, K-pop, you know, J-pop, Mandarin pop. And I've been writing it since probably like 2006, 2007. So I've been, you know, involved in the genre on and off for a long time. And I just always have loved it for its exuberance. Like it's just such a, you know, vibrant genre with so many colorful sounds, um, such bright vocals. You know, people are not afraid to riff vocally. People are not afraid to sing high and low and just have such a wide range. So I think this is why, in my opinion, K-pop is so huge right now is because it just provides an alternative sound for those that maybe don't gravitate to the predominant sound that's really popular in America and in the West generally. Because I think what's going on now with American Western music is there's a lot of more somber music that's very popular, which is awesome. Like there's a great audience for that, but I think there's an audience that is really missing that super fun, super vibrant music. And I think K-pop really, really provides that, you know, and even when Ellie and I work on K-pop, it's just, it's so different because there's just such energy in it. You know, we're always writing several parts, right? Like our verse two will be different from our verse one because it's for a band, you know, like nine girls or something like that. So we want to provide an opportunity for all of them to shine. And we have so many vocal parts and it's just, it's really, really a fun genre to be involved in. And with other genres, what were some of your, if you had to pick, like, let's say there's a Mount Rushmore of Alina Smith's early influences in music, who, what four faces would be on that mountain? Oh my goodness. Um, I definitely know the first two faces that come to mind are Michael Jackson and Alicia Keys. I think another one would be Christina Aguilera. And I'm thinking maybe fourth would be Usher. So I grew up, yeah. So everything that I personally am influenced by is like that early 2000s pop R&B. That's just what I grew up personally listening to. (laughs) So you know, for me, like that is actually what drives my artistry. That's a lot of what I pull from. I'm not really afraid to kind of like go there, you know, use some of those like very bright bendy strings from like dark child type production. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of like, I'm not really afraid to like go there and do something that's like super throwback. I really enjoy it. And as if you weren't busy enough, so you've, you've got a podcast as well. <laughs> so much going on. It's crossover creative. Talk a little bit about, uh, what gave you the idea to create? Cause I mean, podcasts are huge. They're growing constantly and you decide to jump into this field and it's a very unique podcast that you've got crossover creative. Talk a little bit about what the podcast is about. We'll pause right there. Take our first break, come back and talk more with singer, songwriter, producer, Alina Smith. Stand by. Hi everybody, this is Maria Canals Barrera. I voice Talk Girl on the Justice League, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. And we're back. That song that you heard taking us into break last round was Alina Smith's new single, Girl That Was Perfect. 
chatting with her some more about her podcast, Crossover Creative, before we took that last break. And here's what she had to say. Thank you so much. Well, I, again, just like with my song, Girl, That Was Perfect, that was kind of an accident too. Um, so I'm really into spirituality. I have a vision board by my bed. So and one of the things on my vision board were the words crossover creative and they were there for a while. And I just, I didn't know what they meant. I thought they, it was just kind of like words of encouragement for myself because, uh, just to give you a little bit of a backstory. So I, you know, mostly like known for music, but I also am involved in other types of arts. I draw, I'm writing a book. So, and I think there's a lot of stigma around multi-hyphenate creatives, you know, because that old saying like, oh, jack of all trades, master of none. Right, right. <laughs> You know, it's, it, there's a lot of, a lot of us that are, have like a propensity to be this way. We kind of grow up with this stigma. We all almost grow up to distrust ourselves. Right. <laughs> so kind of try to put ourselves in a box. So I think uh, this podcast to me was something that just would give me an opportunity to provide this perspective of a crossover creative, a multi-hyphenate artist, you know, and let those out there know that are like me that also do more than one thing that, Hey, it's okay to be that way. So yeah, you know, I had the words on my vision board for a while. And one day I just, it just spoke to my mind. I was like, Oh cool. I'm doing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So within like a day, I just knew immediately what I wanted to talk about. You know, now I have some solo episodes where I just talk about different challenges that, you know, we face as crossover creatives, but also I interview other people that are involved in more than just one form of art. I've interviewed people, you know, that are a singer songwriter and they have a makeup brand um, or somebody who uh, sings, dances and writes songs. So, you know, I think there's actually a lot of validity to being a crossover creative. So for me, it's just fun to explore it. So then have you cut out little things like sleeping? Is that just getting in the way of all these different projects you're doing? (laughs) Honestly, great question. But no, like, to be honest, I fit everything into a day pretty, pretty well. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but um, I think with music, you know, because I've been in music for so long, probably like, what, 15 years, 17 years, I don't know how old I am, I'm old. (laughs) But um, it's getting to the point where, you know, there's just a lot of uh, trial and error cut out. I do have like a pretty good foundation of what I'm doing musically. So I do have a little bit of extra time for these other things. And, you know, for me, it's also knowing about, uh, knowing my personal rhythms, really. Like I write my book better in the morning, I podcast better at night. I write music better usually during the day. So, you know, it's just combining those things in the right ways. It really does work. And I guess the one good thing about uh, COVID happening, it, it gives you a little more time. You're, you're kind of forced to be locked down and forced to kind of do these things, I guess. So that that's also helpful, much like your therapist forcing you to sit down and write this song. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, totally, totally. Honestly, like, uh, I'm also like almost <laughs> pathologically introverted. So I barely left the house even before COVID. So ah. yeah, for me, this is just like fits my lifestyle, being in the house, just doing different things at different times of the day. You know, it's definitely not for everybody. I would never be like, oh, everybody has to do more than one thing. It's just for people that are naturally drawn to it. And with the single girl, that was perfect. Are there any nerves, uh, you know, going back to something, but obviously it's something you love, something you've, you've known how to do, but is there that kind of nerves about taking such a break and then going back into it? Oh yeah. God, I posted about it, kind of like announced it on my social media today. And I literally felt my heart like painfully thudding in my chest (laughs) to where it just, it hurt. And I was like, 
gee, I need to like lay down or something. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a lot of nerves. And I just think it's super vulnerable too, because this is probably the first single that I've done where, you know, musically I'm pretty mature. So I feel very confident about it being like me musically and then lyrically, you know, I'm expressing something so personal. There's nothing to hide behind. There's no you know, artistically rendered story of somebody else. Like this is pretty much me in song form. So yeah, you know, I really try to be like self-validated, but I think all of us artists, we have pretty sensitive egos and you want people to like your stuff. So, you know, there's definitely a little bit of like, oh, this is really me. If people don't like it, it means they don't like me. <laughs> so, you know, I just have to work through that. <laughs> and final question, if they were to make a lifetime movie about Alina Smith, who would you want to play you? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. I'm so bad at knowing actors. Um, I, I'm trying to think, like, who I feel like. I feel like Jennifer Lawrence could do a really good job. She's got such intensity as an actress that I really, really like. Uh, she's, like, a very versatile actress. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> I think the movie's still being written. So <laughs> ask me the same question a couple years from now. Maybe I'll know better. We'll circle back to it then. That's perfect. And for people who are wondering, where can they get the single uh, Girl That Was Perfect? Where can they get that? So it will be available uh, on August 25th. Um, It will be available everywhere, like Apple Music, Spotify, all of those places. Um, Also, funny thing I'm doing, too, is I'm actually releasing a video series on YouTube that shows how I produced the song. So I actually filmed myself and my screen as I did it. Um, and it will be out there. I'll be going through the process step by step. So any aspiring producers or, you know, even professional producers that just kind of want to peek at how I personally do things, it will be out there. <laughs> That's very cool. And it's just uh, go to YouTube, search for Alina Smith. Um, you can, yeah, you can search my, my name or just my production team's name, Liar Music, L-Y-R-E, and it will come up. And if people want to keep up with you on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, where can they find you there? What's the handles? So my Instagram handle is Alina Music, A-L-I-N-A-M-U-S-A-C. My Twitter handle is actually The Alina Smith, which is really funny. I don't think I'm The Alina Smith, just Alina Smith wasn't available. (laughs) So yeah, that's that one. But yeah, you know, as far as YouTube, it's just uh, search for Liar Music and that comes up. Perfect. Uh, Very excited to hear a girl that was perfect when it drops August 25th. Alina Smith, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, James. My thanks once again to Alina Smith. Fantastic talent. We look forward to keeping up with her. We're going to take our next break and come back continuing on with the rest of the show here on geek to me Radio. Please stand by. Hello, I'm Sarah Sutton. I play Nyssa in Doctor Who, and you're listening to geek to me Radio. Welcome back to geek to me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. We heard from our first guest, Alina Smith, in the last two segments. Uh, this show is not possible without the help of our sponsors. We've got two really great ones I want to talk about. The City of St. Charles, when I first started the radio show, I approached some people. City of St. Charles, the Greater Convention and Visitors Bureau there, immediately, without hesitation, said, absolutely, we will sponsor this show. And they've been with us 
since the beginning. Great people over there. It's a great city. It's a great place to visit. Uh, if, if you're a history buff, they got something for you. If you're a foodie, tons of great places to eat. If you're shopping and you're looking for something special, they have plenty of shops where you can find just what you are looking for. Check out the website. Start there. DiscoverSTCharles.com. That's Discover St. Charles. And you can plan your trip. If you're from out of town, we've always said this is a great place to visit. I know COVID has taken a little bit of a uh, uh, hit on 2020 plans. But if you are looking to rally, if you are looking for things to start coming back, uh, St. Charles has you covered. They have their Legends and Lanterns Festival coming up, which I know will look a little differently uh, than it has in years past due to social distancing and guidelines, but we're doing things safely. They're bringing it back strong, and it's going to be a great time. Make sure you check out the website. Plan your trip. If you're from the St. Louis area, please come out and see St. Charles. A lot to see and do right there here in our own backyard. DiscoverSTCharles.com. Um, our other sponsor, as you know, I'm a movie buff. I love movies. Movies are finally making a comeback. Marcus Theaters opened up last weekend, was their first uh, weekend back open. We had the Russell Crowe film, uh, Tenets out in theaters. New Mutants came out uh, this past weekend, and I'm glad that movies are back. I'm going to go. I'm going to see these movies. I'm going to sit in the seat. I'm going to get the big popcorn. It's safe. They're socially distancing. Uh, obviously, you can't buy all the seats. They're going to put you apart from each other. Masks are required when you're there. They're doing it smart. They're doing it sensibly, but they are bringing movies back, which is me it's a huge thing you know uh i'm a movie fan i like movies movies are my escape what do you do when you don't have an escape there's only so many times you can watch blade runner and mrs doubtfire at home before you want the comfort of a movie theater marcustheaters.com has you covered check out the website find the theater closest to you and get your tickets right there online see what's playing and all the other cool events they have going on while we still uh, live with covid hopefully not much longer. Hopefully it'll be gone soon. Things will get back to normal. In the meantime, MarcusTheaters.com for all your movie theater needs. We're going to take our next break, come back and begin our chat with Lewis Spawn of Comic Book Nostalgia talking about DC Fandom. Please stand by. Davis, I play Etta Candy in Wonder Woman, and this is Geek to Me Radio. Come and listen. We're very, very nice. Welcome back to the show, friends. We're glad you're still with us. DC Fandom went down last weekend. It was a huge event. Uh, I watched all I could. It was a lot to take in. We got a lot of great trailers, and I needed someone I could talk to to kind of break it down, uh, kind of weigh my thoughts, hear somebody else's thoughts, because it was overload. So luckily, our friends over at Comic Book Nostalgia, Louis Spahn, he agreed to have a chat with us about his impressions and his thoughts. Right now, we're doing some DC Fandom wrap-up talk kind of looking at uh, the event, how things went from just the average fan's perspective. And right now we're talking with one of my favorite Twitter buddies, Louis Spawn. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for taking the time. At uh, CB Nostalgia is the handle on Twitter, and you do a lot of great stuff on YouTube. You're, you're always amazing me. I, I don't know if you sleep or you just constantly do YouTube. I don't know. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks man. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So, no sleep here. 
the the DC fandom was a huge event, a lot to take in. It was almost like overload with all the movie stuff, the comic news they announced, the different panels they had. Uh, what were your biggest impressions of the event? Well, I got to say, man, overall, I really think that DC really stole the hype train. Um, it's been Marvel, Marvel, Marvel on the front side for a pretty long time. And, you know, there's a ton of DC fans out there. And, and actually, I'd probably do more DC videos than Marvel stuff. But it just seemed like Marvel was in the driver's seat, especially with that, especially with that big box office last year, right? Yeah. And this just has totally changed the conversation in social media, at least for a couple of weeks. And I, I, I really think that's probably the biggest thing that DC is going to take away from it. Um, I do have to say, all the disappointment of splitting it into two weekends now kind of has a little better reflection, I guess. Yeah, I'd agree. That was something you know, I was everybody- kind of surprised by that they decided to redo it, but we got, I, like I said, I almost felt overwhelmed at one point. So I'm kind of glad they gave us a, a week or two off to kind of process before we dive into the next phase. Absolutely. There's no way that, especially the smaller stuff, would have been completely overshadowed um, by all the trailers. I mean, James Gunn blew us away. The Wonder Woman trailer blew us away. And people are still talking about the Batman. I probably watched that trailer about 30 times. So I don't know how anything else would have gotten traction. You know, things like uh, Young Justice, that that was one of the panels I was looking forward to that got moved. Yeah, and I loved one of the, some of the stuff that a lot of people didn't initially just talk about, because obviously the big shiny stuff kind of took precedent, but Milestone coming back. They had that panel with uh, Dennis Cowan and with Phil Lamar talking about bringing the Milestone, Static Shock, Hardware, all those back. And Jim Lee was on the panel as well, said, yeah, we're going to do a... Uh, basically a, a, a reprint of some of these items. They're going to do some trades and then we're going to relaunch it. And Dennis looked thrilled, which I was so happy for him since he's one of the people who helped create this universe. I was real. I was pretty happy to hear that coming back. And if I understand right, they were talking about some other media projects too. I don't know if they meant animated or live action, but, but clearly they're, they're taking this and they're going to run full bore with it. Yeah. I believe they were talking about static shock. It was a little unclear. Like I said, I'm trying to multitask and I'm trying to tweet and do other stuff during the panel. So I wasn't sure if they meant another animated series for Static or if they mean like a live-action Static Shock movie, which either way would be great, but I would love to see it live-action. I would. I think I think Static's almost made for live-action. Yeah. I mean, the effects and everything is just perfect. That would be great. And then obviously Wonder Woman trailer. Um, I, I'm a big Suicide Squad fan of the Ostrander run, and James Gunn said it right there. This movie is basically an extension or a continuation of that run of comics because he's a big fan too, which made me feel even better about this movie being helmed by Gunn with such an incredible cast. You know, when the first movie came out, I really felt like they were looking the Guardians of the Galaxy. And like, you know, that's the tone that they wanted, but it's not what they filmed, right? And, and this goes into that whole air cut thing. But I think James Gunn is probably the perfect director to take on this in the tone that they're doing. I mean, he made Polka Dot Man look cool. <laughs> With some help from David Desmalchin, of course. <laughs> wow, that pic- the, the, the whole visual on all that was just great. I mean, you know, and I don't think there's probably anybody, like I said, who's better matched to it. And I'm, I was curious they didn't give us a full trailer, but once again, I think, to your point, it was probably not to completely overwhelm us. I would think that it would be done by now, but I think there's some strategy in that, too. Definitely. Obviously, COVID having pushed everything back to the box office, we should have already seen Wonder Woman 84 by this time. And just to get the trailer was great. And I think a lot of people were surprised by Batman because the initial reports with Robert Pattinson being attached was like, "Ah, I 
don't know, he's not the right guy. But people said the same thing when Daniel Craig was cast as James Bond, going all the way back to when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman. So I always like to withhold judgment. But I think the trailer helped kind of sway a lot of people into, okay, this might be something good, Camp. I think you're right. I always thought that reaction to him was a little overblown, and I think it was probably fueled a little bit about – I think it was probably fueled a little bit by loyalty to Ben Affleck's version of Batman and some of the controversy associated with that. With sure. that said, you know, with that said, I think, um, I think they gave us the exact right amount of what we needed to see. I mean obviously they didn't have a lot filmed and might have actually made the trailer better. We um we did we only got just a little bit of everything. We didn't get too much Batman. It wasn't too involved, but clearly, you know, when you saw what they were shooting before, and then we got to see what was in the trailer. We could we could totally tell where they were working, and it was all coming from the same general area. Yeah, so, and and I think the naysayers on Pat Pattinson have been they've been pretty off the whole time. I mean, yeah, we can we can pick on him about Twilight all day long, but honestly, if you look at all the rest of his other work, the guy is incredible. Yeah, he does. He's a solid actor for sure. And people have grown past their initial stuff. We don't still give Tom Hanks crap about bosom buddies at this point. So exactly. <laughs> let let him grow as an actor and kind of appreciate what he's done since then. And for the record, I love bosom buddies. Who doesn't? I mean, the Billy Joel song alone was worth the uh, worth turning it on for every <laughs> week. <laughs> what else did you take away from D.C. as far as uh the, the panels, the movie trailer, obviously you have the same feeling that I do, that they're moving in a very positive direction. I know that I was a little apprehensive because they just announced the week before massive layoffs at DC Comics. So I was kind of like, I feel weird celebrating this, but by the end of it, it was an amazing time. I mean, it was just a lot of great stuff thrown at us, but what was your overall impression takeaway and what impressed you the most? I think I think there's some clear intent of AT and T and Warner Brothers listening to the fans, and that seems to be the big thing that's changed. Um, you know, the, obviously the Zack Snyder uh, Justice League was a big response to fan demand, and don't get me wrong, I think HBO Max played huge into that. And so, but I think clearly now there's somebody over there listening to the fans that didn't really appear to be there before. I'm not really sure who that is, but I I, I just have that vibe from everything. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like fan service. Fan service has become something important, and I don't know if they're taking lessons from what Kevin Feige does or taking that and trying to run with it in their own way. But, I mean, obviously you have to listen to the fans to get things right. Right, and there's the, the whole two mindsets because we have a – obviously we've seen it pop up with the Snyder Cut people. We've seen it pop up in Star Wars. There is a toxic group of fans out there, and depending on which camp you're in, the other side's toxic. But it's uh, – you want to make sure that you're listening to kind of the general fans, but you don't want to get bogged down in, well, we want this. No, no, we want this. So that's kind of a fine line for anybody to walk, be it Kevin Feige or whoever's over at DC now and Warner Brothers is in charge of that. It's kind of an interesting time as far as fans go. I never felt like there was this toxicity before, I'm going to say 2008, nine. Yeah, there's something that's definitely happened in the fandom, and I, and I think DC has an exceptional, has a different problem versus maybe what Marvel has potentially going on. You know, DC, they just had such a rapid change of direction, and all the drama and stuff that was behind the scenes, and, and gosh, we're still finding out more details about that now, but that clearly has fed both sides, and, you know, particularly those toxic fans, uh, they're all zealots, and any, you know, they want to cherry pick or take whatever information sort of you know, fits their confirmation bias and then just run with it. 
and and clearly there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we never hear about. Yeah. So you know, a, a great example would be the uh, um, we heard the Zack Snyder version of the film was unwatchable years ago, and that's what happened before Whedon came in. And I've been critical of Snyder's DC stuff in the past, but some of you know, there's some solid stuff there. But now we find out they told him no, you have to cut what you have down to two hours. Well, you know, sometimes you can't do that. You can't cram stuff into there. So it becomes unclear on, you know, where fault lies and how this goes. And obviously money always plays into this. And that's not something people really want to talk about. But that's the name of the game for the studios. We just don't know. And I think it causes a lot of those people because they don't quite get it all to be a little frustrated. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and seek a villain. We're superhero fans. We're always looking for the villain. And to stay on track with DC a little bit, but to kind of sidestep, uh, Mainframe Comic Con had an event, a virtual event, where they reunited the cast of the animated Justice League series. And I think you know just from uh, our back and forth on Twitter that the uh, the Justice League reunion is kind of a project that's near and dear to my heart. There's hashtags for it, uh, groups dedicated to it. And they had said before, I guess someone had mentioned to Susan Eisenberg that you need to stop tweeting at warner brothers about this because they're getting angry which kind of struck me as odd because these same people are tweeting release the snyder cut and they're they're calling warner brothers switchboards on a daily basis and they made it happen i feel like the justice league reunion crowd that wants andrea romano back for a film with this cast is not anywhere near the intensity of the snyder cut people and yet they're being told to stand down which strikes me as odd what what do you make of all that We're going to pause right there. We'll take our last break, come back and wrap things up with Lewis Spawn of CB Nostalgia, comic book nostalgia. Please stand by. Great. May the force be with you. This is Susan Eisenberg, voiceover actress, and you are listening to geek to me Radio. And we're back here for the last segment on geek to me Radio. Chatting for this last segment here with Louis Spawn of Comic Book Nostalgia, great YouTube channel, uh, one of my Twitter buddies from way back, one of the first people we kind of mutually followed each other, great guy with a lot of great content. And before we took that last break, we asked him his thoughts on the whole Snyder Cup movement and how that kind of rolls into a possible hashtag JL reunion for the Justice League animated series. Well, I think the Snyder Cut thing is a little little complicated. I actually do think we're going to get the, the Justice League reunion at some point um, because it's not very expensive and there's a, a fairly high demand. I, you know, when you when you look back in time on the Snyder Cut thing, you know, two years ago we were told the AT&T switchboard was told to treat them like crank callers. So, like I said, I think there's been some sort of change in leadership. So maybe that assertion that she was upsetting people, you know, we have to weigh it against that, like, you know, during when and where. I um, I also think the return on investment on animation is so much different than movies that, you know, maybe they're tolerant of some things in a different way than others. Hmm. You know, we talk about a lot of – we talk about this sometimes with comics and uh, comic fans, you know, comparing them to movies and, and, the, and how much money they make. And obviously those decisions are made – sort of gearing towards that. So I think that's a big part of it. Young Justice got a reunion and it got a reunion based on hashtags and people squealing about it. Yeah. I mean, I did a 
probably 200 reasons to renew Young Justice run for a long time and did one every day. <laughs> um, or the history, they do those great dates on that show where they t- show you the date. So on this date in Young Justice history. And that's what I think pushed it over the top. So I don't, you know, maybe the thing with Susan's or maybe the thing with Justice League reunion is the cast is pretty, I mean, pretty high end boys cast. They're all well known. Maybe it's an expense thing. I don't know, but um, I surely want to see it. And it's probably one of the greatest cartoons ever. Yeah. Yeah. Between the stories of Dwayne McDuffie was a genius. Uh, a lot of the teleplays that he did for those episodes, uh, just absolutely brilliant. You know, the shows are so important, actually, to my family. Um, both of my daughters, who are now uh, 17 and 20, some of their earliest memories are actually sitting on my lap watching that cartoon. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and Susan will say, too, and I've, we've, I've had every single member on the show, luckily. We've had uh, from Carl to George to Phil and Maria, and they've all said that people stop them, and some people are in their 30s and 40s saying, oh, my gosh, I love this show. Some people are in their you know late teens, early 20s, say, oh, my mom and dad watched this show, and they watched it with me. So there's entire generations who have loved that show, so it'd be great if we could get something. And Andrea Romano has said she will come out of retirement to direct it, which is huge, and the way the actors in that show, revere Andrea, rightfully so, I think they would jump at the chance to do it again. They've all said as much. Well, I think you hit the key right there. It's all the actors. And, you know, when you have those sort of cohesive teams of people that really seem to be having a good time, it is sort of amazing how easy it is to get them back together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's hope uh, hope that happens. Hashtag JL reunion for their next year will be actually be the 20th anniversary of the show's premiere, which is incredible to think about. Oh, I can't wait. I'm, I'm hoping to give us out some uh, new material, maybe the DVD set or maybe some extras. There's got to be something out there we haven't seen. I'm sure. I'm sure. And do, the DC Universe had those relaunch of the figures that they remolded of the original seven along with Aquaman. So maybe they could do a huge package like that. I know I would drop my money immediately <laughs> if, they, if they gave us something like that. Hashtag Justice Lords. That's, I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that would be amazing. Everybody would want that. And so we talked at the beginning about your YouTube channel. Uh, very impressive. Like I said, you you turn out videos. It feels like every 10 minutes you've got a new one out on a different subject, different topic. Uh, talk a little bit about your channel. Uh, tell people where they can find it and what type of stuff that you do. Okay. Well, over on Twitter and YouTube, I'm at Comic Book Nostalgia. And, you know, the idea of starting the channel originally was um, the good vibe you get from all this stuff. We try to keep it really positive. I always like to joke the channel is supposed to feel like Saturday morning cartoons and smell like cereal, <laughs> you know, like when you were when you were a little kid, you know, and yes. that's kind of how we how we try to keep it. I mean, I still look at all the, um, you know, more grown, even grown up content like the boys and Titans and stuff. But we want it to feel that way. Everything, like you said, can be toxic and negative, And I'm purposely trying to steer away from all that. Um, <clears throat> I covered a lot of news and finally it's coming at us pretty frequently again, which is sort of nice. And we try to, like, veer off a little bit. I've been doing a lot of coverage of, like, various shows. Like, Stargirl was pretty great and had a lot of neat stuff. Um, and then a lot of the news on, from DC fandom has been been great. And I also do a lot of coverage of uh, animation, uh, superhero animation, obviously. But, you know, DC is churning out some great stuff. And yeah. just boom, boom, boom. Long Halloween next year is going to be spectacular. Um, so that's all, you know. That's the kind of stuff that we like to we like to look at because it's all feel good and it stays away from some of the negative vibes that we were talking about. And and that's 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 why we that's why we do this. Right. I mean, it's all about the good vibes and the good guys. And, um, you know, that's that's what gravitates me to it personally. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And like you said, uh, not to keep this all about DC animation, but yeah, between uh, Superman Red Sun and we've got the new one that James DeMatteis just put out with Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons, and then we've got Man of Tomorrow coming up soon, and you mentioned Long Halloween. So, And then Death in the Family is a choose-your-own-adventure like Bandersnatch type thing, so they're killing it. Yeah, I, I, I really hope the Death in the Family does well. Uh, actually, the, the, the predecessor, Under the Red Hood, was the first Blu-ray that I ever bought. And actually, to do a video that I did about the death of Jason Todd, and I needed some clips from it. And so I'm going to buy this one on Blu-ray, too. I, I hope that works. I really do. That will be something that would just be so great. I mean, even if it's just like a 35-minute tale, but I've got three or four variations of the same 35-minute tale, that's great. As long as I don't have to dial a 900 number this time, that's all I ask. (laughs) (laughs) To see if he lives or dies. Uh, But, Lewis, I appreciate your coming on and chatting DC. Good luck with your channel. Uh, The YouTube thing is blowing up for you, and you've been doing a fantastic job. And, again, it's at CB Nostalgia on Twitter. Same on Instagram? Same on Instagram and uh, Comic Book Nostalgia on YouTube. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time and enjoy the rest of your day. You too, man. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for us. Another show in the books. My thanks once again to Alina Smith and Louis Spahn. Uh, Make sure you check out Alina's Single Girl. That was perfect. iTunes, wherever you get your music from, download that and listen to it. And thanks again to Louis Spahn of Comic Book Nostalgia. Until next week, my friends. It's not in the way you watch I sound be. Metropolis. Good night. Hi, this is James Enstall, host of Geek Me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themyserian, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Harrod, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geektomeradio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts for your invisible